Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for the Mito Action Podcast. I'd like to introduce you to Stephanie. Stephanie is an incredible uh, advocate for us in the FAOD world. She has a blog and she has written a book all about how they have um, conquered being in the FAOD world with their son, Christopher. And I cannot wait for her to tell you the things that they have done and how they have managed to make the world for Christopher just the same as it is for everyone else. Okay, well, my son Christopher is, is 12 years old. He was diagnosed in 2008 with LCHAD. He was actually picked up on the newborn screening in 2008. So we were really lucky a couple years before he was born, um, LCHAD was added onto the newborn screening as one of the metabolic panel, um, used to be called PKU back in the day. Um, and so Ryan and I were both carriers of his gene, but didn't realize it. And, um, and so he was actually born, I, I was at 32 weeks, had had a very normal pregnancy. And then um, at 32 weeks, I just, one day I just felt like I was getting the flu, like I just didn't feel good. And so I called the doctor and I said, you know, I just don't feel good. And she said, well, you know, you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. It'll be okay. And then by the end of the night, I was like, I just don't feel good. And so um, they brought me in and um, did some blood work and the labs they thought they had mixed them up with somebody else's um, because I looked too good compared to what the labs were saying. And so they actually sent my husband back home because he's a, he was a kindergarten teacher and um, the first day of school was the next day. And so they sent him back home. They said, he's just going to observe me overnight and rerun my lab work. And then I woke up in the morning time and um, to a doctor saying, you know, we have to get your baby out. He's going to be born today. And um, you need to call your husband. And, you know, my husband and I were planning on having um, natural childbirth. We had gone to all these Bradley Method classes. And um, so it was, it was very different than what we had expected. Uh, but basically, my liver was failing and my kidneys were failing. And so the treatment for that was, um, was, was getting the baby out at that time. Um, and we didn't know why. Uh, but so they did the emergency C-section and normally kids, uh, normally moms get better. I um, ended up being diagnosed with acute fatty liver pregnancy, atypical health syndrome. And so uh, there is a high ratio of uh, FOD moms that end up with acute fatty liver health syndrome because, and there's a couple different theories as to why they're not exactly sure why, but that's what ended up happening. And often moms get better, but I ended up crashing three days after he was born. My kidneys completely shut down and um, I, my liver was failing. And so they intubated me and I was on life support for eight days. Um, and Christopher was sent to the NICU because he was a preemie. And so my husband, bless his heart, was going in between um, the NICU and the ICU uh, between both of us uh, trying to figure out what was going on and help. And, um, and so needless to say, we got off to a, a rocky start. Um, I, <laughs> uh, you know, and at the time nobody knew what was going on or why this happened. It took, um, it took basically the entire time I was in ICU um, before his newborn screening panel came back and it was positive for LCHAD. It was 
it was about the same time that I actually ended up waking up because I was in a medically induced coma while I was on, um, while I was intubated, trying to just let my liver heal itself a little bit. And, um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty serious there for a little bit. Um, the NICU nurses had actually started preparing Ryan that, um, to take care of Christopher, uh, himself in case I didn't make it. And so, um, yeah, I, I ended up in like DIC with an infection in my bloodstream. Um, it was, it was rough, but I woke up and I actually, the first day I remember was, um, it was on our wedding anniversary. It was August 23rd. So Christopher was born on the 11th and I woke up on August 23rd and, um, and Ryan had just learned that he had had El Chad. And so he's trying to explain to me what that is. I'm trying to, you know, just be aware of like what happened because I, I didn't really I didn't remember anything and, um, and then trying to understand what this condition was. And the NICU was absolutely amazing. I mean, they had brought Christopher down to see me the moment that I was extubated. Um, they had been changing like blankets and putting them next to him all the time while I was in ICU. I mean, they were so thoughtful. Yeah. I mean, they went above and beyond. And then even after I was extubated and not quite there, they sent a bunch of nurses down just so he could be with me and make sure that I didn't do anything crazy. Cause you know, when you're coming off the life support, you're just not, your mind's not clear. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, so we found out that he had Elchad. We were trying to understand what this, this was. And Ryan actually took off three months of um, school to help take care of Christopher and I, when we were both discharged um, from the NICU and the ICU. And, you know, I, before I had Christopher, I was a social worker and an artist. And I, um, so needless to say, like the sciences weren't something that I I had done very much with. And so Mm -hmm. I hadn't even heard of the word my, I had heard of the word mitochondria, but I didn't really know much about it at all. Like, um, uh, yeah, I had a vague memory of somewhere maybe in seventh grade or ninth grade, (laughs) you know, they're talking about something. So, you know, you kind of, as a parent, when you have a child with a medical condition, you're kind of blessed by the line of fire into Mm -hmm. (laughs) the medical field and all that it entails. And um, I would say that, as I was starting to heal, like, and, and get healthier myself and starting to trying to understand what his condition was, um, you know, it, I think one of the things that inspired me, and I don't know if you've ever watched this movie or not, but, um, Lorenzo's oil, when I mm-hmm. was a teenager, I saw that movie. And so when my husband shared with me that he had this condition, I didn't even remember what Lorenzo's condition was at that point, but I had a very vivid picture of the dad being in this library um, and studying. And I remember him telling his wife, you know, well, you know, when we go to a different country, we study it, we learn their language, we learn their culture. We don't just go over there. So wouldn't it be the same with our child's rare condition? And I thought, I remembered that, you know, and I just thought, that's what I want to be like. That's, you know, like I want to, like, he's right. Like there's just so much to know and to learn and to understand. And so I just, um, 
I just started kind of diving into literature and asking my friends questions and borrowing, um, borrow, borrowing my, I have friends who are nurses and stuff, borrowing their, you know, organic chem books or, you know, cellular biology books, just trying to understand because the thing is, right, when you have a child with a rare condition, um, there's not much out there, right? No. So I couldn't go to the library and pick up a book about LCHAD, which is what my son has. So he has LCHAD, his body can't break down long chain fatty acids and use it as energy. Um, and again, I didn't know that there were different size fats before I had Christopher. Um, mm -hmm. But when I was told that and I got this basic printout sheet um, as to what LCHAD was, and it was you know, you had a picture of fatty foods, you had a picture of protein, and you had a picture of sugar, and the fatty foods had an X through it. And that was all the information I felt <laughs> like I had about LCHAD, you know. Um, Fabulous. And I was like, yeah, I was like, this isn't really helpful. Now we had an, and still have an amazing dietitian, metabolic dietitian, who, you know, has worked hand in hand with us through the years to understand things. And she lets me ask her as many questions as I have, which I think has been absolutely wonderful because, um, you know, the more you read, the more questions you have. And I think right. that's just the essence of science, you know, and I think that that has spurred me wanting to read more because I, I felt like the more that I read, the more I could understand about Christopher's metabolic condition, you know, the easier it would be to explain to him what's going on inside of his body and then the hopefully the better questions I could ask the doctors not that I would understand stand it exactly like the doctors but you know when you have a kid with a rare disease you you see them day in and day out and so I guess part of my hope is is that I can ask a good question that will lead to a better question right and maybe right. that better question can lead to a different thought on the research that they're doing. Um, and, and so that's, that's the approach, that's the approach that we, we've taken. Um, and, you know, and you have to also have, you also have to have doctors willing enough to engage in that way. And we've right. been really blessed to have some doctors who are willing to do that. His pediatrician has been, you know, such an advocate and willing to listen and ask questions with me instead of just, you know, thinking I'm just a parent or something like that, you know, I mean, yep. um, and of course we've definitely faced doctors who <laughs> are tired of my questions and I have to be able to give them space there too. Um, I think that's just developing a thick skin though too as a parent. And that's something you have to do when you have a kid with a rare disease is you have to, you have to know and you have to educate yourself and you also have to, you know, um, sometimes just be okay and realize when you're talking with a doctor and they're getting frustrated with you that maybe it's not about you, even though it feels like it in the moment, you know, right. There can be a thousand one other reasons as to why, um, they it might feel like they're being unkind in the moment. Um, so that's, and I apologize because it's a huge tangent about our story, but that's no, kind of important. <laughs> that's one of our tangents because that's, <laughs> I think, um, you know, Christopher was born and it was just kind of, you hit the ground running, uh, trying to, 
And I, and for the first three years of life, I mean, Christopher didn't have a crisis and we were really lucky because he was picked up on the newborn screening. So he, um, when he, none of the NICU nurses had heard of his condition, um, his metabolic dietitian, when he was picked up, she actually helped formulate the formula, the medical formula that he takes now. And so she brought, yeah. So she brought his formula and he was on it like eight days after birth. So he had his kidney, his liver was already starting to be enlarged from not being on the right diet. Mm -hmm. They were able to intervene before there was any crisis. And then it was them educating us saying, you know, a lot of these kids that aren't picked up on the newborn screening, they might crash anywhere between six months to a year after they're born because they start going longer feeds at, um, in the middle of the night and trying to sleep through the night. But um, because he was picked up at birth, we knew that Christopher couldn't do that, that he had to eat every three hours um, for up until he was like six months old. And then we could go every four hours. And even now he's 12 and he only goes eight hours at night. We still have to do a night feed. Um, and But because of that, we were able to prevent his body from ever um, crashing. So I should mentioned that so kids with LCHAD, they can't break down long chain fats and use them as energy. So what right. happens is, is their body, um, when they go through their glucose stores and they go through the minimal amount of fats that they can break down, their body starts to use their muscle for energy. And so that's when you start ending up into issues of crisis. If they're not fueled up or if they get sick and it's hard to keep them fueled up, then their body mm-hmm. has to have energy. And so it goes to that muscle and it breaks it down. And that's called rhabdomyolysis. Yep. And um, when they're in rhabdo, uh, not only can it, you know, create some m- muscle issues, but it also is super hard on your kidneys um, because your kidneys are processing all of that muscle that's been broken down. And so um, so you, you do your best to try to keep them out of rhabdo. And Sometimes you can control that by making sure they're fueled up. And then sometimes it's, it's hard. They don't have a little button on them that says, you know, like a gasoline tank. Mm-hmm. That's how we always imagine it. We're like, Christopher's like a car and we have to make sure we give him gas all the time. And yep. so <laughs> you yep. watch him outside and he's playing, you know, out at the park or whatever. And I'm like, he's like a car. Is he almost empty, come and get some Gatorade, you know? Exactly. Um, But he doesn't have a fuel tank and there is no meter that tells us when he really is done. And every kid is so different. Some Mm -hmm. kids can feel that their body is getting low in energy. Um, Probably most have to kind of work towards that. But, and some kids can go longer and some kids can't go as long. And so we were told with Christopher that he could go three hours during the day. But when he was two or three, I quickly realized that like, if we're out at the park, he can't, he can't go more than two hours because he would be running and then he'd crash and he'd like lay flat on the ground and he was done. (laughs) Um, And so, so some of it is just realizing like, okay, like this was the parameter and now we have to adjust that, you know? Right. Um, And so I think, And I think most people who have kids with rare diseases probably is pretty similar, right? Because Mm -hmm. all of our bodies are different. And 
the doctors are still learning. And so they have this general parameter, but it may or may not fit, you know, Christopher. And right. so, um, I always equate it to my son may fit in the box, but his arms and legs are hanging over. He just, he's not always in the box, but part of him could be, but he's just over filling the box they want to put him in. Yeah. And once we say that, then doctors are like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you said Christopher is 12. Yes. And he's still on the same formula. So is he fed like the TPN or a G-tube or how does he take his nutrition? Yes. So Christopher is, um, he takes it all orally. Uh, some kids with LCHAD, they have to get uh, a tube put in. Um, but Christopher's been a really good, eater since birth. I mean, he definitely went through a period where he was adjusting to the MCT and the formula and did a lot of projectile vomiting, but like he has not had um, as many issues with uh, keeping food down. I kind of laugh because my mom would say when I was a baby that she would like breast milk, she would give me breast milk, she would give me formula, and I was just always hungry. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I sometimes joke now, well, maybe that was my l gene because Christopher was a lot like that. Like, I mean, yeah. he was all, we were always calling a dietitian, can we give him more medical formula? And so now he, so he does, he eats food, so he's on a very specialized diet. He can get nine grams of fat a day through food. So he has his medical formula, and then he, um, then he eats a lot of like, fresh fruits and vegetables and, but it's not just, and lean meats because he has to be on a high protein, um, high carb, low fat diet. So wow. he, yeah. So, and you can imagine it adds up pretty quickly because he is a, he's a big eater. He eats a lot of food. He's 12 and he is five foot three and a half. He's almost five foot three and a half. Whoa. So he's a tall kid and yes, if he was always like that so when he was you know two and like normal kids are starting to eat baby foods he was allowed to have three grams of fat a day through food and then like as he's grown and gotten bigger he's they've added a little bit more they've checked his blood work to see how much he can tolerate and um mm -hmm. and so he but he also has to eat frequently so he eats about every two and a half to three hours throughout the day um okay more if he's exercising because Christopher is a very active boy. Like he loves to play baseball and basketball and he loves to tag and recess and all these things. And he's been able to do pretty well as long as we plan ahead and fuel up. And I think that that is, you know, um, being, being a mom of, of a kid uh, with, Christopher's condition or I think any rare condition like it's it's a very adventurous process right like mm -hmm. and for I think for Christopher one of the things that we learned early on is there's a lot that he can do as long as we're able to plan ahead and so right um and sometimes that means that like people on the playground think I'm a helicopter mom so be it you know it's okay they they don't know they don't know that I keep calling him over like every 15, 20 minutes to get Gatorade because I know that his body's going to use his muscle for energy and we're going to end up right. in the hospital um, if I don't do that. You know, there, there are things that it's like, 
some kids could just go to the playground and play for an hour. That's not mm-hmm. our family, you know, like nope. um, never's been. And some, some families can like go out for the day and be very spontaneous and like what they're doing. And, um, and we kind of, because we have to know when his activity is going to be, because he needs to get, he takes something called, he has his Lipistart, which is his medical formula, um, but he also takes something called MCT oil, and the Lipistart has that in it as well. It's a medium chain fat that his body can process and use for energy, okay. and he, need, he needs to have that right before activity and after activity. Okay. So we kind of have to know, okay, if he's going to play basketball, if he's going to have recess, if he's going to have field day, when some of those more active times are, mm-hmm. um, to make sure he is fueled up ahead of time for those things and that we have fuel afterwards. Right. But, but also if he has a test, because actually like when mm-hmm. you take tests, it uses a lot of energy. And, um, and so we've had to, you know, talk with the teachers and stuff like that because he'll get brain fog if he's not fueled up well. Yep. And, um, and so making sure we know when those tests are coming. So, and he knows his Gatorade can sit there, his coconut water can sit there, something to give him calories, you know, um, okay. throughout the day. So what would be like a, a breakfast for him? What would, so how do you, how do you as a mom make sure there's just nine grams of fat? That's it. I mean, you must know every food there is. <laughs> you have like an app or something like, okay, this is how many grams of, you know. I, I don't know. How, that's amazing. Well, I mean, the PKU community has an app for, that tracks the fee, and um, there might be something out there now. There wasn't when I started, so it was me Googling, because we didn't have a smartphone or anything. I would, I did Google, like, nutritiondata.com, and I came up with my mm-hmm. own cheat sheet of things, and um, because, yeah, it, it in the beginning, it was much about, like, learning, like, oh, one apple has about 0.4 grams of fat in it. And for the average person, that's not a big deal. But right. when you're working with three grams of fat a day, that adds up, so quickly, um, right? And, um, and so I think the first two years, I spent a lot of time um, in the kitchen and a lot of time looking at fat grams and trying to figure out, because the other part of that I learned, which I didn't know before this, is when you look in the outside of a package and it says zero grams of fat, it doesn't mean that it's really zero grams of fat. It just means that it's less than a half a gram of fat per serving. And so sometimes that's fine. And then sometimes, you know, I count it as a minuscule amount. Like if it's, blueberries because I know that blueberries actually do so depending on how the packaging is set up you might get one package of blueberries and it says it has a half a gram of fat and another package of blueberries and it says zero grams well blueberries are blueberries or blueberries but um, it's just how they did the serving size and so it was learning all of those tricks and talking to parents and talking to his dietitian and asking a billion and one questions and then playing around a lot in the kitchen starting off with pancakes and um learning how to cook, you know, like learning how to do egg whites instead of full eggs and learning, okay, instead of sauteing vegetables and olive oil, you can actually do that with broth and trying to find these little tricks, Um, reading cookbooks, but then even the low fat cookbooks sometimes were too high in fat. And so um, it was constantly like making adjustments and figuring out like what tastes okay and what doesn't taste so great. And, um, 
but to get back to your original question, like right now, Christopher for breakfast, um, he loves pancakes. So I make nonfat pancakes. We use like bananas instead of any butter. Um, so it has a nice sweet flavor to it. And then, you know, you use, I, I go crazy with different kinds of flowers. I mean, I use like whole wheat flour, white flour, tapioca flour, which has like little fat in it, but a lot of carbs. So that's kind of mm-hmm. good. I stick like pea protein powder in there. It sounds gross when you say it out loud, but it actually, you can't taste it. And so right. um, he eats, he eats like pancakes or waffles and um, a lot of egg whites uh, with nonfat cheese. Thank God for nonfat cheese because it is. Thank God, <laughs> um, yeah. But the thing is, is that all of those things, like all of that is stuff that it all has to be homemade. You know, there's not, um, and that's something that I learned quickly is that we spend a lot of time cooking in our house because you really can't find much out there, especially when he was smaller, that would meet that lower amount of fat. And so we kind of got used to having to cook, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just now that he's able to even have something like a bagel, you know, and I don't have to be like, okay. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, I think it was helpful because we definitely, I learned, we learned how to cook slowly. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's always trying to figure out how to pair protein with whatever he's eating. So he's either having Lipistart, which is is medical formula. It's milk. It has a protein and a fruit, or it's having like beans and rice and with MCT oil on it, or it's having, you know, um, tuna, like a tuna sandwich, you know, and with like zero gram fat bread that I can get at Trader Joe's, um, or we do a lot of soups in our house and we do a lot of stir fries and, Mm -hmm. um, non-fat we do. We, I make homemade pizza every Friday for movie night, you know, and so, yeah, yeah. So we, I have a crust that, that has no extra oil in it. And then it's that non-fat cheese. That's what I'm like, I thought Mm -hmm. they were getting rid of non-fat cheese through this pandemic. And I always cried because, (laughs) because, you know, in the midst of all that's not normal, like Mm -hmm. if I had to like take Christopher's like pizza night away, you know, with the non-fat cheese, because that's the only way he can have pizza. It w- I would have been sad. Like, <laughs> does the non-fat cheese melt? You know, they've gotten better. Um, okay. At first, at first it didn't, and I was like, ah. and it was more about for Christopher. It was more about his buddies were over, like in kindergarten, mm-hmm. first and second grade, and they're all making pizza together, which is fun. All the boys thought it was cool because they don't do that at home, and um, and it was less about the cheese because it didn't melt so great, and it was more about mm-hmm. the veggies, which was like. Vegetables are great. It's great. Um, Now he's gotten older. He's getting older and um, he still loves to put veggies on his pizza, but the cheese has gotten better. Kraft has added some, some things that make it. And I've gotten craftier in the sense that (laughs) I add his MCT oil on top of it and that helps it to melt. I don't know why I didn't think about that earlier. Um, If I had it, his pizzas probably would have been different when he was younger. Um, wow. So when he goes to a friend's house, you have to do call the family ahead of time and say, just remember, no hot dogs. Um, is everybody pretty good? And is he advocating for himself when he gets there to say, oh, I, I really shouldn't eat that? 
Um, it's a combination. I will say that Christopher is 12 and his first sleepover was not until he was probably about 10. Um, and we've had to be very, I mean, we are a very like active family. I think um, we do things with friends and neighbors, but I will say that we have um, done a lot together with him because it is a complicated thing, especially when he was younger. He was, um, when he was in elementary school, I don't know, I, all I could describe it and, and not, he was just, he was all boy, like he's more focused on doing than he is. And so I felt like it was not fair to try to put that on somebody else. Like you mm -hmm. have to look out for these signs because he might not tell you he's thirsty. We're working on that. You know, he might not right. tell you he needs something to eat. And I realized quickly too, with different people that some people seem to get it a lot more than others. And, and it was, sometimes it was very surprising. There would be people that I would <laughs> think, surely, like maybe they're in the medical profession, like they would understand mm -hmm. or take this seriously. And I realized like, no, or you would have like a you know, for Christopher, it's about the fat, you know, like he mm -hmm. can't have things high in fat, but he still has to eat. So it's about like both right. of these things. And, you know, you have a conversation with the person and, and their response is, oh, so he has to be gluten free. And you're like, no. So you realize that there's just disconnect and you realize mm -hmm. that you have to have a lot of grace for people, right? Like, but yep. you also it's his health. And so I'm not going to leave him until I didn't feel like we could leave him until I felt like he was more able to advocate for himself. Like you okay. said, until he was willing to stand up and be like, I can't eat that. And I felt confident he would. Um, and so we did a lot of training before that. And then even then the first time we left him for a sleepover with somebody that wasn't like his grandparents who have been amazing. And, um, <laughs> Been yeah yeah um so you know we we've been able to leave him with them they don't live close to us at all but you know like once a year or so they'll come down and they'll watch him so Rana can go out and um and and I make up lists for them and I like have, have like you know this these this is what he can eat this is what he needs to eat this is how you make his formula and they're mm -hmm. like check 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 so it's helpful to have type a personality grandparents who are willing to do that and not yes. sound crazy um but it's another thing to have a friend that's willing to do that and I did find a friend who um got it she was just like you know what like he's old enough we're gonna let him advocate but if he hasn't gotten his snack at such and such a time, I'm going to come out and remind him and here's his cooler. And, um, nice. I've been to birthday parties sometimes where people are asked like, what can he have? Can we have something there that he can have? Um, nice. yeah, which is super thoughtful. And I always feel super loved when people do things like that. And I mm -hmm. also like, I often still bring things just in case because sometimes people's even best intentions, like they want to make sure all this and then you get there and you realize like, oh, well, this was, I can't think of it. I can't think of an example right now, but you know, you look at the outside of the package and you think it has no grams mm -hmm. of fat in it and then you realize it does. And you just can't risk getting somewhere and not having something he can eat. Um, right. And, uh, and most of the time he's been pretty flexible. Like this kid is having th this special treat. My special treat looks different and that's okay. Um, right. 
but as he's getting older, you know, he's, he's having moments where he's like, I really wish I could have that. Or I really mm -hmm. wish that. Um, and so trying to create space for him to like, it's okay to like wish you could have that, or it's okay mm -hmm. to be curious about that. Um, you know, and then, but you know, we're also very just practical family, like in the sense that this is just kind of how it is. And so instead of like, I, I perhaps some might in the moment look at us and feel like maybe we're not being compassionate, but it's, it's not about it. To me, it's not about compassion. It's about when Christopher was, um, he was still within his year old age. Um, and we were trying to adjust and learn about his metabolic condition. Um, I had a counselor that told me, you know, if you guys are not okay with his L Chad, he will not be okay with it. It's really important that you guys oh. are okay. And I thought, yep that's really wise. And so I spent, I was very intentional when he was, you know, super small to be like, I need to be okay. I need to be okay with so many different things that could happen with him and with his L Chad and, um, and children's hospital too. You know, my sister had childhood cancer and my mom was always like children's hospital is like very blunt. Like this is the cancer you have. This is what's going outside of your body. And just kind of very, Matter of fact. Yeah, matter of fact. And so I think I kind of, I think between those two things and also just the man down the street, and I don't know if this is a Southern phrase or if this is just a phrase, but the phrase, it is what it is. And there's, he used to always just say, it is what it is. And mm -hmm. I embraced all of those things at the same time. Like Christopher has El Chad and you know, it, it is what it is. Like, um, and, and it's not, it's not the worst thing ever. You know what I mean? Like right. it is, it just is. And, and that also helped me to also release myself of the guilt that I carried of it being a genetic condition that, you know, like right. as a, as a parent, even though it might not be logical or maybe it is logical, but there's a little part of me that I had to grieve the fact that like, my genes played a part into this situation. Right. That's just, but it is what it is. There's nothing, you know, right. So there's no sense of carrying that around. You know, there's no, it, it's okay to release that. And not. Yep. we don't have buttons that say, here's the genes you don't want to have. You know, yeah. you know <laughs> don't replicate this or don't find someone with this. We don't have that either. So who knows? I mean, the odds of that are, are, are hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, we talk a lot about the mountains. We all have mountains that we have to climb, you know, mm -hmm. and um, our mountains look very different. You know, Christopher had a, has a good buddy and, and he's climbing his own mountain. And, and we would talk about, about that together a lot that like our mountains look different. Like, you know what your mountain is right now. You know, some people have a mountain, they don't even realize it or realize what it is. Right. So it's another way to be grateful that, because if you can name it, then you mm -hmm. can get creative with it. Then you yep. can like decide that it's not going to, you know, control everything in your world, you know? Um, right. And we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of time trying to get creative with Christopher Zellchad, whether it is like, you know, foods that we're trying to, readdress or rework because food is culture right so there's foods that we all grew up with that like we love or that we have fond memories of for 
me, it was fried apple pies and crisp this morning. Um, and mm. Christopher can't have fat. So fried apple pies is not, you know, but what we learned is, is that we can make these smaller baked apple pies and actually like we love them just as much. And then it's a way to still share part of, you know, mm-hmm. food that was special to me growing up, which was special to my mom because it was special to her mom. And, you know, like, and, and that right. is some, a way to, um, to kind of get creative with it or, you know, Christopher, Christopher's done very well, but he's, he's also been in crisis. He's also been in the hospital and he's had muscle breakdown or he, when he was in kindergarten, first and second grade, his immune system, um, he seems to pick up things quicker and hold on to them longer. And he missed like 50 days of school the first two years. And um, which meant missing field trips with friends, right? And uh, mm-hmm. there was one to the Jimmy Carter Center and he was so sad. You know, he really wanted to go on that field trip. And, um, and I was like, you know what? We're going to do it here. So I changed our house into the history center and I dressed up as Jimmy Carter's mom. <laughs> I did a lot of research that night because I didn't, I didn't grow up in Georgia. So I didn't know anything about Jimmy Carter's yeah. mom or Jimmy Carter. Really? I mean, it was good. I learned a lot. Good um, for you. <laughs> but then the day could be this exciting thing instead of I'm sick and I don't get to be with my friends. You right. Know? Um, I'm left out again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think some of that changes as they get older. Sometimes I feel like it's a lot easier to flip that script when they're younger, you know, um, mm-hmm. like I remember too, like he used to get a lot of blood draws and that's, you know, it's just, it gets laborious, I guess. And it's not fun. It's kind of painful, especially when you're little. And mm-hmm. um, when he was a baby, we'd have to like hold him down. It was hard, but as he got older, he was used to it, but he still didn't like it. But he would bring sticker charts and for the phlebotomists. And um, if they did a good job, they would get a sticker. <laughs> and if they didn't get a good job and it took them too long, they did not get a sticker. And wow. um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and, you know, the fun thing about that, and most of the time, honestly, they got a sticker because sometimes you'd be like, mom, they didn't do that great of a job, but I kind of felt like they should still get a sticker. Like, yeah. you know, like it gave him, it gave him some power, power. back. Yeah. And I, so I, I think, like that. Yeah. I think there's lots of things like that is that when you have a kiddo that is in and out of the hospitals and that has all these other things that you have to you're like okay what can we do how can we flip the script and then um make it into an adventure rather into something that is treacherous um because it could be either um Mm -hmm. and uh and i think like as he gets older we're working on you know, it's okay to not want to do X and to have space for that. Like, it's okay to feel angry that, you know, um, I don't know, like that you're probably going to have to do online learning this year amidst the pandemic longer than a lot of your friends are. And it's okay to be upset with that. Although right now he's not at all, but like, I think he's using mm-hmm. it as an example because it could get to that point where he wishes he could go back sooner than his friends. Um, oh, sure. But, you know, so you can have space for that, but then how do you figure out not to stay there forever? Because there is still a silver lining in the midst. Um, it's just if we can, 
can find it, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow, I really have picked up a lot of great nuggets from you today. I especially like what you said, it's okay to have space, but don't stay there too, you know, you can't stay there, you just can't. And I find sometimes a lot of the families get stuck in that space and want to make it their new normal. And I keep encouraging people to be okay with the rough patch. You know, yeah. it's okay to be in the rough patch because you're going to get smooth. It'll be smooth again, but it's just a rough patch. And yeah. it's important for people to to really remember that this this can't just consume it all. Yeah. But, like you said, you have to be very mindful, very you know, focused because life depends on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have really enjoyed our conversation, Stephanie. I can't wait to get to know more about you. I enjoy hearing everybody's stories. And it's for me, it's so helpful not to be on this island alone. I mean, I felt like when, when Ted was diagnosed in 2005, and we barely had the internet. So <laughs> finding a whole group of people now. <laughs> How old is he now? He's 20. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, he um, has outlived his life expectancy and is thriving, is beyond everybody's wildest thoughts. So it's it's great, but again, you know, it's one of those things where when it all started, you just, every day was like, okay, here we go again, let's lace up. Yeah, yeah. I would like to thank Stephanie Harry for talking with us today about her family and their journey with FAOD and their son, Christopher. If you'd like to follow Stephanie Harry, they have the Harry Family Blog. That's H-A-R-R-Y Family Blog. And Stephanie is also the author of the book, My Special Body. She wrote this book for children in the ages of three to six to learn more about FAOD. Thanks again, Stephanie. I look forward to learning more about you and FAOD.